We live in a society, we live in a world, we live in a culture that is, that is escalating in terms of violence and in terms of, of difficult times. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, in the last days, terrible times will come. And when you look at that word terrible, the word used for that means extremely violent. And while I was on stage this morning and while I was thinking through some of these things, it hit me because this is an intergenerational message. So I'm wondering if, if there are high schoolers in here or young adults or Gen Xers or millennials or, or Heinz 57, whatever you call yourself, don't tune me out because here's where my heart is and here's where my passion is. And, and I, I, Scotty, I, it wasn't you in particular, but it was your generation that came to me that need to hear this message. Because as fast as things has escalated in our world today, if this continues for another 20 years, your generation is going to have some serious, serious challenges. And so I'm not asking you to preach like I am or to use what I'm doing, but I'm simply sensing that God is saying to give you a charge this morning that the words that you hear today take to your generation. Because see, your generation has never been through the depression. They've never been through the recession. They don't know what it is to not have a microwave or a cell phone or a number of other things. And some of us sitting in this congregation, we understand that, in fact, there may be those here today who you have been through a depression. And I'm not saying you're depressed. I mean, you've been through the depression or <clears throat> you've experienced a recession. But what we are experiencing today is something that we have never encountered in our lifetime. God used the prophet Hosea to tell us this, that my people perish for lack of knowledge. In 1 Chronicles, the Scripture says that there are men called the men of Issachar who knew the times and the seasons and what Israel should do. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, it says, the whole creation groans and travails as a woman giving birth to a child. And it, it doesn't take a scientist today. All it takes is someone who is knowledgeable of turning on the news or opening up a newspaper or, or Twittering or texting or Facebooking or whatever social media outlets that you are familiar with to realize that we are living in a world today that is, that is experiencing an unprecedented extreme violence. We're living in a world today where things are happening that we never expected to happen. So here's what I want to share with you, and, and I'm not giving you a message. I, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a doomsday preacher. I'm not a naysayer. I'm not doom and gloom, but I'm a realist. And, and I must understand, and I believe that the Word of God that He wants to bring to us today is this. In the midst of our fun, in the midst of our entertainment, in the midst of all of those things that are keeping us so busy, we have to realize that we're living in difficult times. We have to understand that all of these things that are coming to pass is not just by accident. And yet we serve a God who is in control. So 
As followers of Jesus, we must not be overwhelmed by the things that are going on around us. But we must be knowledgeable of the times that we live in. And we must be able to be encouraged in truth. And to take that truth, which is God's holy word, and apply it to our lives and be established in faith. Because you see, the, 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 the opportunity, or I should say, the privilege we don't have is taking the Holy Scripture and picking and choosing what part is inspired. Because the Scripture says that, that all Scripture is inspired of God. So if he's talking about a hurricane or he's talking about the earth swallowing people up or he's talking about thousands being killed or he's talking about the blind being healed and the dead being raised, it's all inspired of God. But my concern and, and, and studying the intergenerational concept and knowing a whole lot more than I did before I started my concern is that when these messages are preached, there is a segment of our congregation that turns it off and says, ah, he's just an old guy. And, and this is what he preached years ago, and he doesn't have anything else to preach, so he's going to pull it out of a dusty. No, it, this isn't what I'm talking about. When pastor, I talked with pastor, and he said, you know, he said we could extend the series unless you have something in your heart. And I said, I just happen to have something in my heart. And so what I want to share with you this morning is, is to help us to identify the times that we live in, and then how do we react. In his latest book, Dr. David Jeremiah, the book was entitled, I Never Thought I Would See the Day. And in that book, he listed nine catastrophic events that he called them that has had an impact on our culture and on our society. I'm not going to share all nine of those with you, but some of those that I will highlight is simply, number one, the intensification of spiritual warfare. We have never experienced the intensifying spiritual warfare that we are experiencing today. And if you're here today and you say, but Pastor Don, I don't sense any spiritual warfare. I don't have any feeling of any spiritual warfare that's going on. Then you probably need to do a checkup. Because my understanding of Scripture, if we are followers of Jesus and we are obedient to what he's telling us to do, and if we're actively involved in kingdom principles, we're going to experience spiritual warfare. It's just going to come. There's another one that, uh, that Dr. Jeremiah had shared, and it was how that the concept or the defining, the redefining of marriage as we understand it in Scripture, as given by God's definition, the redefining of marriage. And, and he says, I never thought I would see the day that that would happen. He says, I never thought I would see the day where there is a, a, an exorbitant amount of moral deterioration of society, both privately and publicly. I never thought I'd see the day. 
I never thought I would see the day when we would experience the dethroning of Jesus Christ as God in the flesh and the only way to salvation. But we are hearing it propagated by people and stars and celebrities that God is not the only way, that there are many ways, that there are all kind of avenues of, of coming to salvation. But remember the scripture says, Jesus himself said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Dr. Jeremiah said, I never thought I would see the day when there becomes a marginalization of the Bible, meaning that the Holy Scripture has been moved from the center of political and cultural discourse. What he's meaning by that is he never thought he would see the day that, that the Bible now is on the periphery, that it, it's not as important, it's not deemed as important, it's probably one of the most sold books and the least read books that we've ever had in our society. But he said, I never thought I would see the day when, when, the, de when the marginalization of the Bible, in other words, it, it's out here on the margin, it's not at the core and the center of what we're doing. And I suppose if I had time this morning, I could ask you, because I'm sure that we all have our own, I never thought I'd see the day. I remember as a child, I never thought I'd see the day when man would walk on the moon. Perhaps you're saying, and I never thought I would see the day when we would take prayer and Bible reading out of the school. Or I never thought I would see the day, we can go back a ways, and some of you would say, I never thought I'd see the day when all of Upper Peach Street was, was just totally amassed in restaurants. And some of you, I've talked with you, and you talked to me about the time when the mall was the woods. Nothing was there, and then slowly and fast and faster and faster, now we have all of this uh, conglomeration of businesses up here, but you never thought you would see that day. Some of you may be thinking, I never thought I would see the day when my son or my daughter made that phone call that says, Mom, I'm leaving him. I'm leaving her. I just don't want to be married anymore. Some of you may be sitting there saying, I never thought I would see the day when I would get a call from the doctor telling me that I need to come back in the office because my test results have returned and he needs to talk to me because they found something. I never thought I would see the day. Some of you may be sitting there saying, you know, Pastor Don, I never thought I'd see the day when the Steelers were one and four in the beginning of the season. <laughs> or I never thought I would see the day when the Browns won two games in a season. Or I never thought I'd see the day when Green Bay was more known for its cheese than its football team. Have I got covered everybody? I'm trying to fend everybody I can, so I don't want to leave anybody out. I, 
I never thought I would see the day when we opened the papers and we turned on the news and we see these things happening around us. And yet I have this sense that it really is not affecting us. Because if it doesn't happen to me, then it must not be significant. If it doesn't happen to my family, it must not be important. So let me share with you this morning, and, and I, I will guarantee, I, I will promise you that I may take you a little low in your thinking, but at the end, uh, John and the worship team's coming up, and we're going to pick right back up, and, because we have a hope, friends. We have a hope because on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. And there is a hope that we have today. So bear with me. Don't tune me out. So how do we know about the signs? Paul, in writing his letter to the Thessalonians, said this, Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day, and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. If he was writing that to Erie First today, if the apostle were here in flesh today and paraphrasing his words, he probably would say to us, understand that destruction is coming. But you in this building today who are followers of Jesus, that you're not in darkness, but you're sons and daughters of light. And we don't have to be surprised. And I thought that there were times where I'm at in life that nothing could surprise me. And sure enough, something comes across the screen that just, wow, I can't believe it. That's the times that we're living in. Now, let me go back up and pick out a metaphor out of that Scripture. Labor pains. You see, the metaphor about labor pains fits perfectly in today's headlines. I will be the first to admit I don't know much about labor pains or timed contractions. There our ladies here who've experienced this are far more knowledgeable than I am. There are medical personnel that are far more knowledgeable than I am. I've experienced it only as an observer and a participator in the pregnancy and in the birth of our children. But I, I, I think I know enough about time contractions, not the Braxton Hicks false labor contractions, but the actual contractions that they say usually they last between 30 and 70 seconds, 60, 70 seconds, and, and, and they start out uh, at a, a fairly decent time apart. And then as the labor begins to intensify, the contractions begin to come closer and closer and closer and closer together. 
And when we, when we look at this concept and we, the analogy of where we are in our world today, when, when I was in high school, the biggest, the biggest thing that hit us was the assassination of President John Kennedy in 1963. I mean, we hadn't heard anything, nothing was happening in the world as far as we knew, and then all of a sudden, our president was assassinated. And then it wasn't much longer after that that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And then on and on and on and on, and the, the, the Vietnam War and the Tet Offensive and the war after war after war after war, and then all of these things began to unfold, and the more media access we had, the more we were aware of them, and it just seems like that the whole earth is groaning as the woman who is in labor, and the contractions are getting closer and closer and closer together. And when we, when we consider that and we understand the metaphor of labor pains, ladies, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And I've only had that experience twice with our, our two boys. When our first boy was born, Barb had 12 hours of intensive labor, intensive labor. And, and, and the contractions and the labor and, 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 and people have often said when they shake my hand, they say, Pastor Don, you have a firm grip. Well, I developed that by holding my wife's hands <laughs> during labor. Because you see, we had, a, we had just a little guy, 11 pounds, 7 ounces. And that was before C-sections. We hadn't gotten down that far the alphabet yet. It was just, you know, A, you're about to have a B baby. We hadn't gotten down to C yet or, or even D delivery. But we, we understood if you have been with your wife, if you've been with family members, you understand the intensity. And I know it doesn't make sense at that time, and probably your wife will give you dirty looks and say all kinds of things against you and about you. But what we're understanding this is this, that mama, in the midst of your labor pains, in the midst of your contractions, rejoice. Your child is about to be born. And after that birth and Things have settled, and that baby's laying on the mother's breast. It's like, wow, thank God for this miracle. But in the pain and the contractions and the labor, we're not really thinking a whole lot of good things. And it's no different than where we are today, my friends that we have experienced wars and rumors of wars, that we have experienced extremely violent things happening in our world, and we never thought we would see the day of the mass murders, of the suicide bombers, of 9-11, of families taking the lives of their own children, we never thought we would see the day of the homeless and those who need help. 
We never thought we would see the day of all of the very difficult things, the immorality and the sexual abuse and the child abuse and the abandonment and on and on and on. But I say to you today, my friend, when these contractions become closer and when it seems like the pain is almost unbearable, I say to you, rejoice because your redemption draweth nigh. Amen? Rejoice because Jesus is coming. He is prepared and he's coming for us. So don't be heavy laden. Don't be downtrodden. Be hopeful. Jesus is coming. You see, to be very honest, we no longer have the luxury of sitting in our recliners, stroking our chins, and examining the state of our world from a distance. I'm very candid with you this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have become players in these events. There's something that you have to do. It may be serve every. It may be missions. It may be your neighbor. It may be your coworker. It may be your family. But you can no longer sit back and observe you can no longer sit back and not be involved because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all players in this game. We all have a responsibility. So that's knowing the signs. So what do we do? How, how do we deal with all of that? Well, what I'm going to tell you sounds real simple and sometimes it's difficult to practice, but it's simply this. Remain calm. But Pastor Don, how do I remain calm? when I'm sitting at the doctor's office getting the results of my examination? How do I remain calm when just Friday the boss came to me with a pink slip and said, here, it's been good seeing you. Have a nice future. How do I remain calm when I get that call that my son or my daughter, that their marriage is now dissolved and busted up? How do I remain calm when I get the call that one of my family members has been in a terrible accident? How do I remain calm? In the natural, it's not going to happen. But here's the thing. The atmospherics of our heart and mind should be calm. Now, if you're living that out, if you're practicing that, you are going to appear weird to a lot of people because there will be a lot of people around you frantic, pulling their hair, wringing their hands, mouth getting dry, getting the jitters because of where they're at, and you're kind of walking around like this, and they're looking at you go, you don't care? You're not concerned? It isn't that I don't care, and it isn't that I'm not concerned. It's because I know who is in control. I know we serve a God that's in control. And so that challenge of remaining calm can be very, very difficult, but let me give you some Scripture that will affirm that for us. John chapter 14, verse 25, 26, and 27. Here's what Jesus said. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things 
and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Friends, that's a promise. That's a promise. It's no different than if we quoted John 14, where Jesus said to his disciples, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I've gone to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. There is a promise, and there's a person, and there's a place. And it's our challenge to believe for that peace and that comfort to knowing that all things work together for good of those who love God. And, and I have to say to you, please, I am sensitive to this. Unless I have walked in your shoes, I cannot understand how you're feeling. But I understand Scripture. And I understand times when Barbara and I have experienced this. I've understand the times we've had our challenges and we've had the difficulties and the issues of life. And I've understood those times when it seems that somehow miraculously the peace of God just comes over us. And we're not aloof and we're not carefree, but we know that God is in control. You see, that's remaining calm. Now, calm is known more, known more for what it's not. Calm is known for the, the presence of agitation or fear or turbulence. Calm does require some kind of storm or we would never notice it. If you never had a storm, you would never recognize calm. So, so there is a calmness that God has for us. I, I found out through doing some reading that the, the weather world has what is called the Beaufort Scale. This was created way back in the early years to help the ships as they navigated across the waters. And the Beaufort Scale was designed basically to register the wind. And the Beaufort scale actually goes from 1 to about 18. 1 meaning that the wind is less than 1 mile an hour. That's calm. No problem. You can cross. 18 is 74 to 80 miles per hour, which means there are going to be high swells, there are going to be waves, there's going to be all kind of stuff thrown around, and you better tie up and not try to get out there because danger is imminent. So with that in mind, my question to us this morning is this. As we evaluate our life, where would the Beaufort scale register the winds of our soul? Where are you at right now? Some of you have met yourself coming and going because of the commitments that you've made. Some of you are walking through and dealing with some very difficult and treacherous things in your life. And, and things that have not been your fault or you've not brought them on yourself, that's just the way life is. Pastor Jason had a tough message a few weeks ago. Life's not fair. If you think that life is fair, then you need to get over that because life is not fair. 
And, and when we pray around here at first day prayer, we pray that God, we know there are people coming into this building that has all kind of baggage. Some even has garbage. Some is carrying the weight of the world on their shoulder. And Father, somehow let your word, let your worship, whatever components of this service this morning, somehow let the message get out to the people who have come here that there is hope in Jesus that there is strength in God, that God cares for us, and God says to us that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And that's where we are today. You see, the Bible says that we have a God who calms the storm, and we have a Savior who rebukes the wind and the waves. Stay calm. And then secondly, stay compassionate. Oh, we got to have this. We've got to have this. Paul, again, in writing to Thessalonians, he says to the people, and they were having their own struggles. They were having tough times making ends meet. They were having a tough time themselves. But listen to the words. He says, now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Didn't leave anybody out. Just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. When our Lord comes with all of his holy ones. The people at Thessalonica were struggling. They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing difficult times. But what Paul is saying to them, now is not the time to shut down, sit down, or slow down. Now is the time to be compassionate. I've heard it said before that if you have food enough to feed yourself, you can go help somebody else. Now, where did all this, you remember the term paying, paying it forward? You thought that started with the movie, didn't you? Well, it didn't. Let me give you the origin of that. Benjamin Franklin in 1784 actually advocated progressive kindness. He received back in the day what used to be called begging letters. There were letters that were sent to the president begging for help. 1784, Benjamin Franklin received what was called a begging letter from a man in financial need. Benjamin Franklin responded, I do not pretend to give such a sum. I only lend it to you. When you meet with another honest man in similar distress, you must pay me by lending the sum to him. I hope it may thus go through many hands before it meets with a knave that will stop its progress. Pay it forward. Has God blessed you? Pay it forward. Has God provided for you? Pay it forward. Has God given you actually more than, than, than you can eat, more clothes you can wear, more cars that you can drive, more, 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 more? Pay it forward. And just let that spirit of compassion overflow in your heart and life. Now, there are two equal and opposite reactions to that. One is we harden our hearts 
because we have been fueled by cynicism and despair. In other words, we've developed the mentality, I'm going to get all I can and can all I get. And everything that comes my way, I'm going to hoard because I just never know. I just never know. I just never know that, that hard times are coming and, and I'm going to put it all together. And, and this is, it's the old build the bigger barns and fill them up. And lo and behold, as we cross the street to get more stuff, we get hit by a bus and don't get to spend it anyway. What a bummer. Jesus is saying to us this morning that we have to stay calm and we have to stay compassionate. Protect and extend our spirit of compassion. See, the essence of identifying with someone else is found in the incarnation. God wrapping Himself up in flesh, becoming a man, taking on our sins at the cross. That is compassion. In these difficult times, I believe that we're being tested to decide if we're going to be self-centered takers or compassionate givers. And I know that's hard to come to terms with. I understand that that is difficult. But Barbara and I have learned, one of the things that you learn about downsizing, it's amazing how little you need to enjoy life. Because we got lit, and we were not hoarders, but we got rid of a boatload of stuff. Nine trips to Salvation Army. Ladies coming from the church to, we've got, we've got parts of our house spread all over Erie. We've, we have our DNA in, in multiple homes throughout this city of people who have bought things from us as we were downsizing. But you know, when we downsized and we have what we have now, we didn't notice a decrease of our joy because we understand this. Junk is stuff you throw away. Stuff is junk you keep. And, and we're so thankful that we caught on that it did not affect our joy. So I'm going to conclude this morning. And I don't have time to cover these other ones, but I'll just give them to you, just, just random bullet. Not only do we need to stay calm and we need to stay compassionate, but we need to stay connected. We need to stay confident. We need to stay consistent. We need to stay committed. And we need to stay convinced. Because as followers of Jesus, we must be watchful, we must be alert, we must be vigilant with one eye on the headlines and the other on the eastern sky. Because here's what I want you to know, He's coming. He's coming. I'm still waiting for an amen. He's coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming. And we are excited. And what I want you to do this morning is this. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want you to join the worship team and sing this chorus today with a sense of hope and expectation.
And when we finish, I will come back and we'll dismiss in prayer. Here we go. Let's put our hands together. coming he's coming and we have a hope we have a promise there's a person that we believe in and trust 
And no matter what you're going through in this difficult time, extremely difficult time, no matter what you're going through, there is a God that will see you through. Now, he may not take it away from you. He may not remove it from you, but he will go with you through it. You see, one of the fallacies that we have is when we come, become a follower of Jesus, we get a get out of stress free card. I don't know about you, but when I became of a follower of Jesus, I just picked up a few more problems. Because lifestyles change, attitudes change, way of thinking changes. But I'm thankful this morning that I can leave you with this hope that God is in control and he loves us very much. Father, we thank you this morning that we can rejoice. We rejoice in the pain. We rejoice in the labor. We rejoice in those spiritual contractions because we sense they're becoming closer and closer and closer together. And we know that there is a hope, that there is a blessed hope in you that we know and we believe and we are thankful today that our hope is in the Lord. And we're thankful as we sing this song, Behold, He comes. We're looking forward to that day. But until then, God, we pray for your strength that we remain calm, remain compassionate, and let others know, share that message with them in this tough world. We give you thanks and praise in your name. And God's people said, amen. God bless you this morning. Amen.